Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, dear family. Good morning, beloved. How are you doing? I always pray that you're well. Um, I pray that you had a good weekend. It's a. It's a. It's not Monday. You know what? I'm. I'm. My weekend's coming up almost. I've. I've got the wrong day. Um, tomorrow is a very, very special feast day. First class, the feast of Saint Joseph. Um, a wonderful feast of a wonderful father of the universal church, of the holy family, of religious, of families all over the world. Just a perfect, perfect patron for every single family and especially for the imitation of every father. We have last um, uh, gone halfway through the last chapter of Archbishop Sheen's Victory Over Vice. And uh, we are on the the vice of covetousness. We just have a little more to go, and I'd like to finish that during this hour. Uh, as those of you who've been listening know that Bishop Sheen uh, said that it was the seven deadly sins that put our Savior on the cross, and so he matched each of the seven uh, deadly sins to one of our Lord's last words. On the cross. And this is now the seventh word Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, to which Archbishop Sheen attached the vice of covetousness. I'll just read its definition here from the book and then continue where we last left off. Covetousness is an inordinate love of the things of this world, it becomes inordinate. If one is not guided by a reasonable end, such as a suitable provision for one's family or the future, or if one is too solicitous in amassing wealth or too parsimonious in dispensing it, the sin of covetousness includes, therefore, both the intention one has in acquiring the goods of this world and the manner of acquiring them. It is not the love of an excess of some that makes it wrong, but an inordinate love of any some. We continue then. He, um, let me just see, to touch, uh, from where we left off, to touch an ideal in this world is to destroy the ideal. No man is a hero to his valet. We are no longer thirsty at the border of a well. The satisfaction of earthly ideals turns against us like a cruel retort from one we paid an underhand compliment. But there is no reason for being pessimists or cynics. Disappointment is no proof that there is no ideal, but only that it is not here. Just as we would have no eyes were there no beauties to see, and as we would have no ears were there no harmonies to hear, 
so we would have no appetite for the infinite were there no God to love. In him alone is the reconciliation of the chase and the capture. Here on this earth, we are buffeted between the two. The chase has its thrill, for it is the pursuit of an ideal, the quest for satisfaction, and the march to victory. The capture, too, has its thrill, for it is possession, enjoyment, and peace. But while we live in time, we can never enjoy both together. The capture ends the excitement of the chase, and the chase without a capture is maddening like having a refreshing spring withdrawn from our parched lips as we draw near to it. How to combine the chase without the ennui of capture and the capture without losing the joy of the chase? It is impossible here below, but not in heaven. For when we attain unto God, we capture the infinite, and because he is infinite, It will take an eternity of chase to discover the undiscoverable joys of life, truth, love, and beauty. I remember having so many conversations, and even me in my earlier years before I knew who Christ was, thinking, what heaven, it's just going to be boring. What what are we going to do all day and all night? Of course, there's no time in heaven, but a lot of people think that. What are we going to do? Be like the angels, that's going to be boring. But, oh, no, no, we have little clue of heaven. We have little clue of what it is to live in the presence of God. Such is the meaning behind the last and farewell word from the cross. Centuries ago, the sun shone upon plants and trees and imprisoned within them its light and heat. Today, we dig up that light and heat in coal, and as it flames and as its flames mount upward, we pay back our debt to the sun. So now the divine light, which for 33 years has been imprisoning itself in human hearts, goes back again to the Father, ever to remind us that only by completing a similar circuit and commending our souls to the Father do we find the answer to the riddle of life and the end of disappointment and the beginning of eternal peace for our eternal hearts. Everything is disappointing except the redemptive love of our Lord. You can go on acquiring things, but you will be poor until your soul is filled with the love of him who died on the cross for you. As the eye was made for seeing and the ear for hearing, so your spirit was made to be recommended back again to God. If it had any other destiny, the dying words of the Savior would have betrayed that destiny. The Spirit has a capacity for the infinite, the knowledge of one flower, the life of a single hour, the love of a minute do not exhaust its potencies. It wants the fullness of these things in a word. It wants God. The tragedy of our modern life is that so many put their pleasures in desires rather than in discovery. Having lost the one purpose of human living, 
namely God, they seek substitutes in the petty things of earth. After repeated disappointments, they begin to put their happiness not in a pleasure, but in the hunt for it, in butterfly existencies, excuse me, that never rest long enough at any one moment to know their inner desires, running races, hoping they will never end, turning pages but never discovering the plot, knocking at doors of truth and then dashing away, lest its portals be opened and they be invited in. Existence becomes a flight from peace rather than an advance, a momentary escape from frustration instead of its sublimation in victory. Every now and then, every now and then, there comes to some a light through the clouds of Calvary and the echo of the word commending a spirit to God. But instead of making a supreme effort to satisfy the goal of life, they crucify it. I remember, dear ones, before I was ever a Christian, how in my Jewish background, where I only knew business 14 hours a day, seven days a week. Every once, and I had no reason to live, no meaning. What was it for? What are we on earth for? What is life for? We get one thing after another, and we marry, and we have a family, we raise children and grandchildren, and we die, and what was it for? I thought, what will ever, will anything ever fill the emptiness, the purposelessness, the the uh, meaninglessness lessness I lived with my whole life. What is it for? How to ever fill it? And I could never fill it. And no amount of love, money, success, nothing could ever fill it. And every once in a while, oh, maybe for a year before I came to believe, every once in a while, I would get a glimpse of light, a glimpse of hope, a glimpse that there was something else in this world but what we can feel and touch and see. A glimpse that there was more, supernatural, something. But how could you ever get it? How could you ever reach it? How could you even know what it is? And that's what we just read from Bishop Archbishop Sheen. Every now and then, there comes to some a light through the clouds of Calvary and the echo of the word commending a spirit to God. But instead of making a supreme effort to satisfy the goal of life, they crucify it. I could never have even imagined satisfying the goal of life, ever finding it. It was easier for me to crucify it, to shut it out, to have no hope, thinking it was any hope was false, than to... Uh, live toward it. So I did shut it out until God, just the hound of heaven, got me. Blessed be his name. There's the music for our break, beloved. We'll be right back. You're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. The iCatholic Radio Mobile app is two apps in one. Your place to hear great Catholic programs and music. Here's what listeners are saying about the updated iCatholic Radio mobile app. Through the iCatholic Radio app, I have listened to the sermons and teachings several times. The effect has been a deeper understanding of my faith and Catholic tradition. This app has truly been a blessing in my life and has increased my faith. With the new app, you can choose to listen to our programs like Mother Miriam Live or The Catholic Current whenever you like. But you can also switch over to the best in contemporary music by Catholic artists. We even bring you hours of Gregorian chant every Sunday morning. If you do not currently have our app, download it to your iPhone through the Apple Store or to your Android phone by going to Google Play and searching iCatholic Radio. The updated iCatholic Radio mobile app, your one stop for great Catholic programs and music. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, dear ones, to Mother Miriam Live. We are just... Uh, rounding the corner here on the last chapter of uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen's victory over vice, taking one um, uh, vice, the seven deadly sins, and attaching it to each of our uh, Lord's seven last words on the cross. Um, Since Archbishop Sheen said it was the seven last sins that put our Lord on the cross, and we are now um, on the seventh word from the cross, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, to which Archbishop Fulton Sheen has attached the vice of covetousness. And as we've been reading, no matter how much we have, nothing, nothing of this world will ever satisfy the human heart. Absolutely nothing. I continue now with Archbishop Sheen. Everything is disappointing except the redemptive love of our Lord, ultimately, Everything will disappoint except the redemptive love of our Lord. You can go on acquiring things, but you will be poor until your soul is filled with the love of him who died on the cross for you. As the eye was made for seeing and the ear for hearing, so your spirit was made to be recommended back again to God. If it had 
any other destiny, the dying words of the Savior would have betrayed that destiny. The Spirit has a capacity for the infinite. The knowledge of one flower, I know I'm backtracking here just a little bit, the knowledge of one flower, the life of a single hour, the love of a minute do not exhaust its potencies. It wants the fullness of these things in a word. It wants God. The tragedy of our modern life is that so many put their pleasures in desires rather than in discovery. Having lost the one purpose of human living, namely God, they seek substitutes in the petty things of earth. After repeated disappointments, they begin to put their happiness not in a pleasure, but in the hunt for it, in butterfly existences that never rest long enough at any one moment to know their inner desires, running races, hoping they will never end, turning pages, but never discovering the plot, knocking at doors of truth, and then dashing away, lest its portals be opened and they be invited in. Existence becomes a flight from peace rather than an advance, a momentary escape from frustration instead of its sublimation in victory. Every now and then there comes to some a light through the clouds of Calvary and the echo of the word commending a spirit to God. But instead of making supreme effort to satisfy the goal of life, they crucify it. And I just told you my experience before I was a Christian of having those little instances of light, but never thinking I could ever find it. And so it's easier for me, it was easier to not hope than to live in a hope that could never be satisfied. Of course, that was all before I met our Lord Jesus Christ. Bishop Sheen continues, But the husbandmen said to one another, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And laying hold of him, they killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. This do, thus do some men believe, that if they could drive God from the earth, the inheritance of sin would be there without any remorse. And if they could but silence conscience, they could inherit peace without justice. It was just this mentality that sent our Lord to the cross. If the voice of God could be stifled, they believed they could enjoy the voice of Satan in peace. Now take a different outlook on the world. How many, even of those who have killed conscience, can say, I am happy, there is nothing I want. But if you are not brave enough to say that, then why not seek? And why not seek in the one direction in which you know happiness lies? At death, you will leave everything. But there is one thing you will not leave, your desire for life. You want the one thing the cross brings you, life through death. In its effulgence, the mystery of existence becomes clear. The cross refers to me personally and individually as if no one else in the world ever existed. On the cross, Christ has traced for me in sacrifice which is the most sublime of gestures, a program of life, submission to the divine will. 
he went down the dark road of Gethsemane to Calvary's death out of devotedness to God's glory and my salvation. For my culpable self-indulgence, he atones by surrender of himself. He was wounded for our iniquities. He was bruised for our sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. If this master of the world symphony would miss my single note of virtue in the harmony of the universe, if this captain of wars would miss my spear in his battle for goodness, if this artist would miss my little dab of color in the masterpiece of redemption, if this cosmic architect would note the absence of my little stone in the building of his temple, if this tree of life would feel the fall of but my little leaf to the sinfulness of earth, if this heavenly father would miss me in the empty chair at the banquet spread for the millions of the children of God, if this orator from the pulpit of the cross would note my inattention as I turned to glance at an executioner, if God cares that much for me, then I must be worth something since he loves me so. I'm one chill, beloved. I don't know about you. No human being can ever understand the love of God. He's not simply loving. He's love itself. And then Bishop Archbishop Sheen ends uh, typically with a poem, this one from Harriet Eleanor Hamilton King. But if he himself, he come to thee and stand beside thee, gazing down on thee with eyes that smile and suffer, thou wilt smite thy heart with their own pity to a passionate peace and reach to thee himself and the holy cup with all its weathered stems of passion flowers and quivering sparkles of the ruby stats, pallid and royal, saying, Drink with me. Wilt thou refuse? Nay, not for paradise. The pale brow will compel thee. The pure hands will minister unto thee. Thou shalt take of that communion through the solemn depths of the dark waters of thine agony with heart that praises him, that yearns to him, the closer, the closer through that hour, hold fast his hand, though the nails pierce thine too, take only care, lest one drop of the sacramental wine be spilled, of that which ever shall unite thee, soul and body, to thy living Lord. The end. The end of this magnificent book. Um, I think you should get it and read it over and over again through the year. Victory Over Vice by Archbishop Fulton Sheen, published by Sophia Institute Press. It's a wonderful, wonderful book to read, husband and wife together, family, Bible study, all of it. Um, we will now go um, 
we just have a little bit before our break. And so before our break, I'll remind you of what I normally do coming back from the break. And it is um, the Life Funder uh, uh, Life Funder uh, fun- fundraiser for us um, as we raise money for now a second and larger home. Um, the goal is 200000 uh, We're going to need... I think at least 300,000 to fix up, to make cells in there and extra bathrooms and take in a good number of women. So um, I just bless all of you who have already contributed to that. I'll take a peek um, to see where we're at. Um, Let me see now. We are 43% funded, $86,658 of the 200000 goal. Um, with 10 days to go, um, and so we need, what do we need, 115000 or so left, 113000 or 14000 left um, in 11, in 10 days, in 10 days. And I tell you, um, I go to it once a day, and I, um, I read the messages of people that have and are contributing. Um, it so warms my heart, beloved. I've said it before. I hug every one of you uh, who have given so generously, every single one of you, 664 of you so far. Um, and I just bless God for you and ask him to bless you without end. Um, I read every one of your notes. I pray for every one of you. We take your prayers into our rosary every day and ask God to bless you. Um, I am going to now, the toll-free number, I'll give that out again. And if you you can call in now, you call in during our break. We'll have an entire half hour for your calls, your emails, and your um um, and your texts, uh, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483. And as we always say, the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. It never needs to be what we are speaking about, but your heart. So feel free to call in or go to lifefunder.com forward slash D-O-M-M-O-I-H, the, the initials of our community, uh, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope in caps, lifefunder.com forward slash, and then all caps, D-O-M-M-O-I-H. Um, and you can email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We have an email from someone who is written in anonymously and, um, and says, what is the chief virtue we can work on? in order to fight sloth. And of course, sloth was just before um, uh, the vice of covetousness. Sloth, our um, Bishop, Archbishop Sheen attached to our Lord's sixth word on the cross, it is finished. Um, we'll give the definition of sloth and talk about the chief virtue that we can work on in order to fight sloth as soon as we return from the break. Beloved, don't go away. We'll be right back.
LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, Love in Truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. If the cares and anxieties of life are weighing you down, come to the St. Thomas More House of Prayer and allow the Lord to refresh your soul. The St. Thomas More House of Prayer is a Catholic retreat center devoted to praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. You'll find a tranquil atmosphere that's ideal for deep prayer, whether as an individual or for a group retreat. We're located at 365 Hill City Road in Cranberry, Pennsylvania. Make your reservation today or learn more at liturgyofthehours.org. You can also call us at 814-676-1910. That's 814-676-1910. We would love to help you experience the Liturgy of the Hours and discover the prayer that will change your life. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Hi, beloved. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live. We have a whole half hour all to ourselves. So again, feel free to call in with anything at all uh, that's on your heart. Toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Um, we just uh, read an email uh, from someone who writes it anonymously and asks, what is the chief virtue we can work on in order to fight sloth? I tell you, um, so many suffer from sloth and may not even realize it, but it's a deadly sin and it uh, it, it needs confession. Uh, let me just give you Archbishop Sheen's uh, introduction to the vice of sloth. Sloth, he says, is a malady of the will that causes us to neglect our duties. Sloth may be physical or spiritual. It is physical when it shows itself in laziness, procrastination, idleness, softness, indifference, and nonchalance. It is spiritual when it shows itself in an indifference to character betterment, a distaste for the spiritual, a hurried crowding of devotions, lukewarmness, and failure to cultivate virtue. You know, for years, I have 
joked about being procrast- a procrastinator. I once bought a book on how to stop procrastinating, and I put it on my bookshelf, figuring I'd read it in six months. I never read it. So I tell you what, I'm, I, I can't uh, live in that uh, now, but I still have remnants of it. Um, it's, it's huge. I never considered myself slothful uh, in that sense. Um, I never didn't not work. I just put things off and did things in their place. But that's a form of sloth. And the, the remedy for it, when you ask the chief virtue we can work on in order to fight sloth, the remedy is zeal, Z-E-A-L. And we really have to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. And, um, and what do I want to say here? Um, Hang on a second. I just had something for you. Here it is. Um, And uh, how do I say even manufacture zeal? Um, It is necessary to overcome sloth and moral sleepiness. I have an article here by the very wonderful Monsignor Charles Pope. And he says, I'm going to read this a bit, uh, beloved, because so many of us, I include myself, Uh, suffer from sloth and never would have ever defined it as such. Um, I have confessed it in the past, but my habit of putting things aside or procrastinating, I never would have characterized as sloth. But I, I, I need to say that there's so many of us that live in sloth. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow, that sort of thing. Um, and we need to own it. And Monsignor Pope says one of the great virtues related to charity is zeal. Zeal is the ardor of charity. It is love burning brightly. It is a fiery love for God, for his gracious truth, and for the salvation of souls. Because of human fear, sloth, and self-seeking, zeal is rare. It is especially difficult to find in our present age when relativism and tolerance are so prevalent. Both relativism and excessive tolerance are little more than sloth masquerading as something more benign. People consider truth to be relative and exalt tolerance more out of laziness than anything else. Seeking the truth and obeying it is just too much trouble. Monsignor Pope says, yes, zeal is quite hard to find today. Rare indeed are those fiery souls whose love for God and neighbor compels them to speak, teach, and suffer for souls and for the glory of God. Zeal once sent missionaries around the world, hungry for the salvation of souls, dedicating their whole lives to Christ and the glory of his vision. With notable exception, many once effective missionary orders slumber in a soporific universalism that presumes that most, if not all, will be saved without repentance and faith. Beloved, if you believe that, um, the devil has duped you. Monsignor Pope continues, a great somnolence has been upon too many church leaders, priestly and parental, Despite the horrific condition of our culture and of too many souls, a kind of sleepiness consumes most Catholics. 
There are silent pulpits with drowsy priests. There are silent dinner tables with parents who should speak out but are distracted by less important things instead of being vigilant for the salvation of their children's souls and the protection of their moral lives. Meanwhile, the secular and the satanic are passionate and dedicated. Our Lord says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Oh, for the zealous, ablaze with love for God, love for souls, and joy in truth, who spend themselves sacrificially and who earnestly work for the kingdom. They are among us, but they are few. We should seek this gift of zeal, but we must be careful, for zeal like anger is difficult to master. Zeal admits of defect, but also of excess. Zeal is not some sort of wild running about. It is not indiscriminate argumentation or merely lashing out at evil. As with any gift of God, it must be rooted in and balanced by other virtues, natural and theological, such as charity, prudence, counsel, and meekness. In this brief reflection... I, says Monsignor Pope, I am drawing from Father Reginald Garagou Lagrange, who himself draws from St. Thomas Aquinas, because I am drawing from a lengthier work and reordering some of its content. I'm not presenting exact quotes, but rather selecting and paraphrasing his material in substantial ways and interweaving my own commentary. Father Lagrange's thoughts are recorded in The Three Ages of the Interior Life, Volume 2, published by Tan. Zeal is the ardor of charity, the burning fire of love, but one that is enlightened, patient, meek, and disinterested. Let me reread that. Zeal is the ardor of charity, the burning fire of love, but one that is enlightened, patient, meek, and disinterested, not self-interest. Monsignor says, consider first some motives or causes of zeal. The first motive for zeal, now again, this is the remedy for sloth. The first motive for zeal is that God deserves to be loved above all things. Knowing this and experiencing his love, And his providence for us should light within us a fire of love for him. He is worthy of our love and gratitude. Zeal's first object is an increasingly bright and burning love for God. A second motive for zeal, again, countering sloth. A second motive for zeal is the inestimable value of the immortal souls, the souls redeemed by Jesus Christ. We love them and their well-being is important to us. We zealously seek to reach them, knowing that each is worth more than the entire physical universe. Did you hear that, beloved? Every soul, that means you as well, is worth more than the entire physical universe. St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I most gladly will spend and be spent myself for your souls, although loving you more, I be loved less. That means he will love and spend himself for them even if they do not return his love, even if they turn on him. This is a motivated zeal 
for souls. Yet another motive for zeal is the contrary zeal with which the enemies of Christ and his body, the church, dedicate themselves to to working um, disorder, corruption, to working disorder, corruption. Pardon me, dearest. I'll read that from the beginning. Yet another motive for zeal is the contrary zeal with which the enemies of Christ and his body, the church, dedicate themselves to working disorder, corruption, and death. Their work is indescribably perverse and influential. Many are lost through them. We work against them even as we pray that they will turn back from the road to damnation along which they are dragging so many others. Monsignor says, while zeal should be ardent, it must also be free from all excessive human seeking. Thus it should be enlightened, patient, meek, and disinterested. First enlightened, zeal should be illumined by the light of faith. If zeal is only animated by our natural spirit, it easily drifts from the task of converting souls to God and begins to imagine a worldly utopia. Utopianism is often envisioned by restless, angry, blundering, ambitious people and features what is impulsive, unreasonable, trendy, and um, ephemeral. Thus, Christian zeal must also be illumined by a faith rooted in obedience to Christian prudence and in the gift of wisdom and counsel. The goal is the glory of God, the triumph of his truth, and the salvation of souls. Zeal not enlightened by faith tends more to the Tower of Babel than the glory of God. Then patient and meek. We must learn to avoid the tendency to become uselessly irritated by evil, venting in unproductive indignation and indiscriminate sermonizing. Patience and meekness teach us to tolerate certain evils in order... Excuse me. Patience and meekness teach us to tolerate certain evils in order to avoid greater ones and to prevent ourselves from becoming bitter in the great struggle that faces us. Most of us know people who have been in the battle just a little too long. People who, though understandably aggrieved by the condition of our culture, have tended toward bitterness and harsh condemnation of others who do not share their exact priorities or hold just the right combination of views on issues Zeal detached from charity too easily becomes mere indignation. God mysteriously tolerates certain evils, often for lengthy periods. He does this for some greater good. Although he bids us to fight error, evil, and injustice, he does not promise us immediate victory. The cross must be endured, even the grave experienced. But in these three days we rise with him. Patience and meekness, engage the battle, endure the cross, and look to the vindication that will one day come. And finally, 
what it is to be disinterested. The glory of God is our goal, not the winning of an argument, not a political victory. True zeal works for the kingdom. It does not care who gets credit for the victory. We should not claim as our own what belongs to God. The battle is the Lord's, and to Him go the victory and the spoils. Neither should we appropriate to ourselves what belongs to others. We should never claim credit for what God or others have done. We should rejoice that God has worked it through and through. Zeal for the kingdom is our work. It is not about our glory. It is about God's glory, His truth, and the salvation of souls. That's a long, long answer to um, uh, our dear uh, uh, writer asking the virtue to combat sloth. Um, it is zeal, beloved. We'll be right back after the break. We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustained Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustained life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live. But I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Podcasts of our network-produced shows are free for your listening pleasure at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Be uplifted in your faith and inspired to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on our iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We've just given a very long answer to um, one who emailed anonymously and said, what is the chief virtue we can work on in order to fight sloth? And I found the most wonderful article from Monsignor Charles Pope. Let me just read the very end of it now. In the end, zeal, that's the virtue. Zeal is the ardor of charity, enlightened, patient, meek, and disinterested. 
While zeal is too often lacking today, we should not presume that the solution is a kind of reckless zeal that indiscriminately and foolishly lashes out, lashes out and manifests bitterness or anger. Zeal is for God's glory and for the salvation of souls. Like anger, it is difficult to master it. It is needed as never before, but it must be true zeal, not some human imitation of it. And finally, Monsignor Pope ends with a prayer. Lord, give us true zeal. Give us the zeal such as your servant and prophet Jeremiah spoke of when he said, if I say I will not mention the Lord or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary withholding it, um, withholding it in, and I cannot. Monsignor prays, give us the zeal of St. Paul, who said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls, Lord. Yes, Lord, give us fiery zeal. Give us the ardor of charity for you, your people, and your truth. Let zeal for your house consume us, that we may be a fiery warmth and a purifying fire to all around us. In your grace, we pray. Amen. Well, I thank Monsignor Pope for um, uh, such a wonderful article, so very much needed today uh, to combat sloth, physical and spiritual sloth. There's so many people that live in it and don't recognize it as sloth. Okay, we have an email now from Angela who writes, Hello, Mother Miriam. Thank you for being so accessible to ask questions to. Oh, you're welcome, dear Angela. And again, this is our last segment, beloved. We have a little under 10 minutes. You're still welcome to call in if you wish with anything on your heart. Toll free at 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. Angela writes, I'm currently pregnant with our second child and feeling very conflicted about the vaccine schedule that presents on well child list, well child lists, well child visits. I first became aware of three vaccines that use fetal cells in them with our first child, hepatitis A, MMR, and chickenpox. We consented to our first child being fully vaccinated based on the U.S. Council of Bishops statement about the moral acceptance of these vaccines. However, with their similar statement regarding the COVID vaccine and continued research and production with these fetal cells, I call into question the moral integrity of this council statement regarding the well-child vaccines as well. My husband and I want the best for our children, both medically and spiritually. I would appreciate any thoughts and guidance you would have for our family on this matter. Thank you so much, Angela. Angela, um, as a child, I was also vaccinated with all of those and knew nothing, nor did my parents, about fetal cell research or the use of fetal cells in the making of vaccines. We do know it now, so we're not accountable for what we don't know, but we are accountable for what we do know. Um, 
It's what Mark Twain said, ain't the things I don't know that bother me, it's the things I do. And so even though um, those vaccines have been, have proven helpful for children, um, now that I know, uh, that we as Catholics know that the they've used fetal cells in their development, I would never recommend any vaccine that does that. I would not recommend any vaccine and the COVID vaccine, some of them, uh, who claim they're not made with fetal cells, but they are tested with fetal cells. There's no difference. There's no difference. And the fact is that the only way fetal cells can be usable is if they come from a live baby, not a dead baby. It is the most heinous, evil thing we can do to murder babies, to assassinate them, to kill them, to rip them apart in their mother's womb in order that our children would live or that we would live. It, to me, there's no justification whatsoever. I've also read the statement from the USCCB, and um, I, I, don't, uh, I don't believe it. Uh, I don't think that that is what God would wish. Do I know more than the bishops? Uh, no, I don't. But... Um, but on the issue of moral um, uh, teaching, um, a baby must not die that I might live. And it's not remote cooperation um, to, to uh, have a, a, max, a vaccine even that's been tested um, with the cells of, of babies that have been murdered in their mother's womb. There's no such thing as remote cooperation. If we have any link at all... Um, to it, we are um, we 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 are responsible for that murder. If we get the if we live the fruits of it, we're responsible for it. You say, "Well, I didn't kill that baby." No, you didn't. But to use the fruit of that murder uh, for my benefit or for my children's benefit, um, I, I might as well have killed that child. Uh, to use the horror of the fruit of that death. To keep anybody else alive so that's my answer dear one it, it needs to be your own decision with your husband before god but i would say to you and to everybody never to use anything that has fetal cells in its development in it or in its testing um, we have an email from carol who writes mother miriam thank you for all you do i notice that the habit you wear shows tradition but i'm wondering where the where the crucifix is carol um this was a a, a point of grievance to me to not wear a crucifix because i would be wearing one but um i heard from a very a holy benedictine priest um, founder of a Benedictine order himself, and um, uh, very, very, very traditional, that nobody but bishops had worn crucifixes in the past in the early church because it was a sign of authority. And not even priests wore the crucifix, just bishops as a sign of their authority and not religious. So I know there are many religious who wear the crucifixes, but I have adhered to that. Um, and said, no, if that was a sign of authority uh, in the church, I will not take it. Um, yes, I will bow before bishops, um, 
but um, but we won't take it. If God ever has it one day that we grow enough and we have a new monastery and it becomes an abbey and I become an abbess, it might be acceptable then. I'd have to look into it, but nothing short of that. I, I will not wear a crucifix. It, it's uh, difficult for me. Not to, I would love, 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 love to wear it, but um, I... I'm going the way of tradition of the Benedictine order to not wear it and um, uh, to honor every bishop who does wear a cross. Um, God bless all of you. There's the, the closing music for today. Tomorrow will be the glorious feast of St. Joseph, patron of the family of the Universal Church, our Father, our Lord's Father, a patron of the Holy Family. Um, I can hardly wait. First class feast, beloved. And we'll speak with you all tomorrow. God.